0: or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, 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 friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. I always love having firecracker entrepreneurs on the podcast because I feel like me as an entrepreneur, I learn so much from other entrepreneurs. It's just always great to hear other people's take, you know, if they are further along than I am, it's always great to, for me to learn like what worked, what didn't. And, you know, maybe I can learn from their mistakes (laughs) if they've made any, but I really enjoyed having today's guest, Sarah Panton, the founder of Vitruvi on the show. So if you're not familiar with Vitruvi, it is an incredible, like, household lifestyle smell brand. So they are known for their diffusers, which I'm sure you've seen all over Instagram. I personally own one and I cannot say enough good things about it. Guys, this thing is so chic and their scents are just, oh my God, I have one. Actually, I got it after this conversation with Sarah, but it's called Pacific. And I can't tell you, this thing is so fresh. It just puts me in a good mood. And it, it's just incredible. Anyway. So they're known for the, their home sense. They have built this like whole beautiful brand around this. And I have a lot of respect for Sarah because of how far she's taken this brand. Um, they, I still remember they had this partnership. I think uh, they still have this partnership with air Canada, which is, you know, a big airline. And it's always really cool to see a startup partner with these like very, very large brands because it shows the strength of the, this new startup. So. Sarah is absolutely incredible. She shares a lot about her process of going from starting Vitruvi to what it is now, which is an incredibly successful brand. She's full of knowledge and I highly recommend, you know, if you are at all interested in starting your own business, maybe you already have, or maybe you have like, you know, just interest in being an entrepreneur sometime in the future, tune into this episode. I am sure you're going to learn a whole lot. So I'm excited to bring you this conversation and I hope you love her as much as I do. Before we dive into the episode, Episode. Let's talk about this week's hot tip, which is weight training. Now I've talked on and off about the kind of workouts that I do. Um, I've talked about Pilates in the past, love Pilates, but I, over the last two months started incorporating like heavy weightlifting into my routine. And guys, I cannot tell you how much I love it. So the program I use is by Brett Contreras, who is in my opinion, a fucking genius. So he has a PhD in sports science and he's really, really well respected by basically every wellness and fitness person I have ever looked up to. He's absolutely incredible. So, what I love about his workouts is that it's just three days of um, weightlifting in the gym. And his workouts, I've been doing them for a long time. We're like two, over two months now. And it only takes like 55 minutes at the very most and you feel yourself getting stronger like i am lifting weights that i i mean i'm surprised myself at the progress that i've made it's very methodical It is effective and cannot recommend it enough. I'm putting it out into the universe that I would love to have Brett on the podcast at some point. He is a genius. So, you know, if you guys are looking for some inspiration in your workout routine, definitely check his workout. He's really, really great. All right. This week's review. Let's talk about this week's review. It comes to us from Broso it's spelled B-R-R-O-S-O. And she says, binge worthy. Need I say more, a fun and informative podcast with a fantastic guest lineup. This is such a sweet review. And you know, guys, I've said it a million times. I so, so appreciate anytime you take the time to, anytime you take the time, um, anytime you take the time to, you know, stop and leave me a review. It doesn't have to be long. I just love hearing from you guys. All you have to do is open the Apple podcast app, scroll down to the bottom where it says rate and review the show. If you feel like I've deserved a five-star rating, please leave me a five-star rating and let me know what you like about the show, what kind of guests you want to see. You know, if you have any topics you'd like me to discuss, I love hearing from you. It really helps me mold the show into something that you guys will enjoy and that'll bring you value. And it helps get the show out to more people as well. So really, really appreciate. And anytime you guys leave me a review. All right. With that, let's welcome Sarah Panton, founder of Vitruvi to the Dream Bigger podcast. You know, where like I thought Vitruvi was this like huge brand. Really? Yeah. Because like, I was like, you know,
1: it's in an airline. Like, that's, yeah. that's pretty massive. I know. I never thought I'd get so many bathroom selfies <laughs> from people. And then it, it became like a movement, like a small movement. Yeah. Where people like friends of mine and then friends of theirs would like adjust it so the Vitruvi logo was out and then Stop. send me a photo because the way they would screw it in, it would kind of face to the back. And then people would like give me one of these and like send me twisting videos. And oh, so my it God. Felt like that's a total so community. Cute. Yeah. Because oh. they friends of friends. So that's so it was, like, nice. It's like flight. AC 554 has a straight soap. I was <laughs> like, yeah, awesome. Winning.
0: I've like seen it over and over again. And I'm like, yeah, Eric Canada, yeah, like supporting yeah, a Canadian brand, like a cool one too. <laughs> Just like random. <laughs> it was so
1: fun to design that. Yeah. We had no idea if we would get it because mm-hmm. we were still, I think we were still in my brother's apartment as an office at that point. No way. Yeah. Wait, what year was this? How many years in? Okay, So or I'm like, really bad with it? years. But I think we officially started in 2015 uh-huh. when it, it was a Tumblr account. Right. What? Yeah. The whole company started as a Tumblr account. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I have to dive into the Tumblr thing. But yeah. like the Air Canada thing. So when did that come up?
1: Come about? I'm going to say that was maybe a year and a half or two years in. Sarah, that's insane. It was. It was nuts. They reached out to us. And I remember it was really just me and Sean, my brother, mm-hmm. and a handful of people that we were working with like our team some of which that are still with us and we threw our our hat in the ring and had no idea and I remember thinking I don't know if the company will still be around because this is like a four-year partnership and we were still finding our footing as a business and so it was like
0: well here goes nothing wow okay we were shocked we are in talks with an airline right now they reached out to us so I'm just like when I saw like like Vitruvi was always like the brand that I looked up to. And I was like, if they can
1: do it, I can do it. Well, (laughs) truly, truly, if we can do it, you can do
0: it, too. Well, now that I hear it was like only a year and a half in, like, who the hell knows? Like, that's really exciting. So tell me about the fact that you start as a Tumblr account. That's crazy. Yeah.
1: So the business started, it was truly a passion project. Like, I think people maybe overuse that word, but It was something I did with my brother on evenings and weekends. Mm -hmm. I always love learning about different places Mm -hmm. and cultures. I grew up in a really small town on an island in Canada Mm -hmm. and didn't travel as a child. um, Wasn't exposed to business at all growing up. But I had a really big curiosity and I understood that I was a very small person in the world and that a lot of people have different lived experience than I Mm -hmm. did. And I was curious about that. A lot of the schooling I did was in anthropology and medical anthropology and like fascinated by what I could learn from different people and places. Mm -hmm. So I started this Tumblr account called Well World and I would start my little videos with Well World and then like record and then interview anyone that would give me time about how they spent their day and what living naturally meant to them. Oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm. really fascinating. So it didn't even necessarily start off as like
0: an essential oils type no, thing. Not it at was all. like a... storytelling
1: and learning from people. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so like who were the kinds of people that you did interview? The weirdest people I could find. <laughs> like the weird, like the most interesting people that I could find from a plethora of lived experiences and places. And so one was an artist, one was someone that had started like a really large tech company. And I was curious about what their morning routine was. So it was really just like a place to interview people about their wellness practices and why they chose maybe certain rituals they had, but also like what the importance of living naturally and surrounding themselves with products and a lifestyle that supported their best self. I think I've like always been really fascinated by the concept of potential. So that was basically the through line, like wellness mm-hmm. practices and
0: things like that. That is so cool. And so when did it evolve into more essential oils? Like why even the interest? Like where did that come from?
1: So the essential oil piece started after doing all these interviews oh, is, yeah. and doing my degree in global health was learning about different botanicals. And so that was really the, the through line. It was, oh, this is so neat how different cultures are using different plants and botanicals. Mm. And then looking at an industry that was still very toxic led, which is the air care industry and home scenting and saying, hey, could I learn about the way these plants have been used traditionally and in doing so help people live naturally and take up space and create routine around aroma in a way that has been done traditionally and make it new. And in doing so, disrupt a really toxic old industry. That's really
0: fascinating. Mm -hmm. So you studied global health. Mm -hmm. Where did this interest in like natural things come from? Because global health and like, tell me if I'm wrong, but like, was it more so like like allopathic medicine, or was it just more so like studying
1: the health kind of practices of what was happening in the world? Mm -hmm. So the subsection of global health that I was most interested was immunology and infectious disease, Mm, which is like not the cutest, but it was the most geared towards developing countries or places that still had a tie to more traditional practices. Mm, And then I, so that was sort of the interest that I had. And a lot of my courses were in medical anthropology as well. So like learning about different places and practices and how our environment affects our well-being. So that was what I studied academically. But I grew up in a really small town with mom and dad that were really interested in living naturally, kind of before their time, before organic was a thing and my mom would make yogurt. And so I credit them for kind of starting a conversation around being conscious of what was on my body. I wasn't allowed to wear the traditional makeup that my friends were wearing at a young age. Mm -hmm. And... We had natural cleaning products in our house before they worked very well. So
0: I think it's really cool because I was having this discussion with my father-in-law and he's Indian. And he was saying that so many of these like traditional practices that have existed for so long, even those cultures that it comes from, they've like lost touch with them. Like Ayurveda, for example, like if you look at the middle class slash like upper class in India, most of them are actually going to allopathic doctors Mm. as opposed to kind of like looking into their tradition. And so he was saying that a lot of it is because it was passed down generation to generation through like words and practices that are just happening in the household. And mm-hmm. we like lost a lot of it. So I think it's really cool that your parents had
1: that and kind of instilled it in you early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm really grateful to them. And they still live in the same house that we grew up with and they grow their own food and, you oh know, yeah, have beautiful vegetable gardens and apples and it's a pretty neat place to grow up. That is yeah. really cool. And so your brother was also interested in all of this as mm-hmm. well? Yeah.
0: Amazing. And so then how did you, like, was he working on the Tumblr account with you?
1: He was, so we had the Tumblr account and then he built our very first website. Okay. Yeah. And that, it kind of grew from there. It's what we would do in evenings together and in weekends. And so we were cute. playing with like creating different products and blending things in our kitchen. And, and then it just sort of evolved from from there. I never thought this would be what I was doing.
0: Yeah, I bet. I mean, I think that a lot of good businesses start out just by like, like from that, you know, not with the intention of necessarily going full time with it or anything, Mm -hmm. but seeing like there is like you want to create something and then it kind of becomes something.
1: Yeah. And not even being able to do it at full time full time to start. I think yes. like in talking about people, if you know, we're kind of talking about what it means to build a business. I've talked to a lot of different groups and women, especially on how, when do you know to turn your passion project into a business? Mm-hmm. And I sort of think, I mean, my, my opinion is it sort of always needs to be, mm-hmm. but I had three jobs for the first three years of the business yeah. and didn't, didn't pull a paycheck from it. And if you don't have the grit and the energy to do it, as you probably know, at two in the morning in your first year, it's that's not going to go away in your seventh year. I
0: right could not agree more, Sarah. And like, I, I mean, as you say this, like I have chills because like, I just like, I, I know exactly what you're going to say. And like, I feel the same way. And the thing is that, you know, when... We started Array. Mm -hmm. I was working full-time as a content creator. Mm -hmm. My husband, who's my co-founder, Nish, was working an extremely demanding job in fintech, which took him to India for like three days and like brought him back. It was insane, you know? Mm -hmm. And we built Array, like did all the legwork on the side. And Nish didn't quit his job until November, 2020. And we've been in it for like, like I'm talking like really just like extreme growth for eight months prior to mm-hmm. that, you know? And the interesting thing is that I think that if you don't have, or like you don't really understand what, like that, I guess that side hustle practice mm-hmm. where it's like you have your job and like this side hustle that you have is like really kind of stretching you. I think it's the best kind of practice for when you become a founder or a CEO full-time because let me tell you, it doesn't get any easier. Like harder. it's harder for <laughs> sure. sure. Like I don't seem myself like working any less or any less hard than I was at the early stages of my business, even when I had another job, you know, it's just that now Array has like way more demands. And I'm sure you agree with that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's nice to talk to somebody about this, because I feel like you can really relate to it. And a lot of people like to present this perfect you know, business that they made that seems to pop out of thin air. But I love seeing people get after it and build something. And I think we can create so much support and realness if we have real conversations around how hard that is to mm-hmm. build. And that grid and that struggle, for me, my my experience was part of it because we didn't have the funding. We didn't have connections. Neither did we. We didn't, you know, I'm from a small town. I didn't see business growing up. And I, you know, we funded it on my visa and student loans. Yeah. And so it was, you know, that that energy that drive that you need to start changes if you are having that project you're working on be what you're depending on to pay your rent yeah i think the entire energy of the project changes and so i always say don't jump I, my my opinion is don't jump in and ask it to solve everything in your life but hedge your bets and you know have your day job and then if you, if you don't have the grit and drive to do it on weekends and evenings then it's you probably don't love it enough do you want to start a company but have no idea where to begin? Or do you have dreams of becoming an influencer? Well, the Life with Mariana podcast is here to help. I'm Mariana Hewitt, a Los Angeles based influencer and co founder of the Clean Skincare Line, Summer Fridays. Each Tuesday, I'm talking to my friends from business owners, wellness experts, and more to share all of their best advice for you to live your best life. Make
0: sure to tune in and subscribe to my podcast and follow me on Instagram at mariana underscore Hewitt to see what's coming up each week so you don't miss an episode. I'm totally with you. And I actually want to also touch on this piece that you said about you didn't have the funds. And it was like, you know, you just kind of like you funded it with your visa and your student loans, right? Mm -hmm. We used our wedding money to fund Array, right? We were bootstrapped. Like we didn't have a wedding. We put it into Array, which by the way, was like the best decision ever because like, I mean, it's like it's brought us closer together. We love what we're doing. And, you know, when it comes to bootstrapping, and I think that most businesses come to that crossroads at some point Mm -hmm. when they're experiencing growth that they need to go raise outside capital. But I had a VC on yesterday on the podcast and we were talking about this and what she was saying was interesting. She's like, you know, you, when a VC is looking at a company, most of them, if they're smart about their investments, they won't want to put money into a company that's like kind of like they're experiencing artificial growth. And what she meant by that is if you have a ton of money, right, you can throw money at a business like marketing and digital ads and just like acquire customers. Right. But like, how are they sticking around? Like, how are you building community? And I think you really do that when you are having to be scrappy and you don't have the money to like throw, throw around to build that community. Mm -hmm. It's not artificial. It's like real, real
1: market fit, you know? Yeah. It's when you don't have any option except listen to your customer, Mm -hmm. it sets you up for tremendous success because at every moment, you're watching and waiting and listening. You're asking questions. You're so engaged because you can't afford, like you said, to take a big bet and have the arrogance of like, oh, this will be cool. So I'm grateful for as stressful and as many stomach aches that Sean and I have had and still have and nights that we don't sleep. It instilled in us an entirely customer centric business that is ingrained in our nervous system as a company because it was always listening watching being curious never just taking a compliment always asking someone with their product what they would want different and a lot of our features and our products are dinner conversations i've had with people Mm -hmm. where i'm like but if you could change one thing like what would it be and a ton of features from our, our products have been built from those conversations. I
0: think it's really important to stay curious and speak to your
1: customers. Like, mm-hmm. I think that it's the only way you build a really lasting, impactful business. And I mean, I'm truly honored to have a product in someone's home. Oh, my God. Like, yes. right? like that's Oh, my God. Our customers are so cool. Mm-hmm. They're so cool and so kind. And they're so intentional about the way they live. So for me, it's like, wow, you made a choice. You chose us. I'm so honored to be in your living room or I'm so honored our product is beside your bed. And yeah, I
0: I say the same thing. Like anytime someone like DMs me or sends me like an email, I'm like, Uh, this is like the honor of my life to be integrated into your wellness routine. Like Mm -hmm. it, I mean, it's just crazy, you know, to think that like something that you built, actually people use it and they, they care for it and it's making their lives better.
1: Mm -hmm. And I want to communicate with those people, you know, (laughs) it is, it really comes down. Simplicity is just listening to people, right? I think authentic listening is such a important human trait. A hundred percent.
0: So, Sarah, I actually want to ask you, like, as we're talking about the side hustle turned Mm -hmm. kind of full time, what was that point for you that you actually decided to go full time with Vitruvi? Like, do you remember that, like, you were like, this is it, like, time to go?
1: I think it was gradual. Mm -hmm. And and so it was, I would say, probably three and a half, three and a half years into the business. We probably had maybe seven employees, seven to ten employees Mm -hmm. when I worked on it. Completely full time. Really? So you
0: had hired like this whole team before you went full time on it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And paid all of them before I took a a paycheck. And I was working for a company actually based out of Europe. So I could work early in the morning and evening for them and then be at the office all day. That is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was the same, like in the same
0: as in we, never took a paycheck. Like it's, it's only been for our employees until like, I would say last month. Yeah. Really? It's a huge milestone. It's a huge milestone, but that's really interesting that you, you did that for three and a half years. Like mm-hmm. that is Sean as well. long, Sean as well. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. So how were you delegating tasks? Because I'm sure you guys were not able to take on everything on your own, right?
1: Yeah, I think building a team, regardless of, you know, if we were doing things on the side as well, we were present and and there for the team and functioning in our normal leadership roles Mm -hmm. as COO and CEO. And then it really has just been collaborative working with the team and having people own their areas and grow them and having a vision that everyone's working towards. And then that has just, I don't know about you, but it's kind of evolved every year for us. Yeah, absolutely. Who was your first hire? Our first hire was, our second hire is still with the company. Our first hire was just an amazing person that we knew through a friend that came to help us. And our second hire now runs our affiliate program. Wow. And our customer experience team. Incredible. been with the business for almost five years. Yeah. Wow.
0: That's a long time. So- how did you decide who you wanted to hire? And at what point? Because I know that, you know, hiring is an interesting thing, right? If you wait too long, it can kill the business. And if you hire too fast, then it leads to bloat. So like, what was that point for you that you were like, no, I need to hire? And like, how did you decide who your first hire was even
1: going to be? I've had this conversation with so many people that Uh are starting a business. And I think your, your viewers or listeners are usually building something, yeah. right? And so two, two ways to answer the question. Mm-hmm. One, I think the people that build your business for the first two years are different than the people that need to build it five years later. Yeah. And that there can definitely be the same person, but what's required of them is different. At the beginning, it's just around motivating people to spend time and taking a giant risk with you. So it's people that, you know, I packed orders with people and brought yeah. them to the post office every day at three o'clock. And just people that are excited about building something and have the grit and drive. And they need to be motivated by community. They have to have a high risk tolerance and uh, be okay with ambiguity. Mm -hmm. Because at the beginning of every business, there aren't answers, Mm -hmm. right? And we're just sort of moving in a direction. And and then I would say the people in the same vein at the very beginning need to just be motivated by the purpose and the mission and not necessarily the success. To answer it more directly in a product-centric business, I found in my experience in some of the companies I've worked with, sales first, sales heals all. Mm-hmm. So usually a founder led business or something like yours, I, we have a pretty good grasp on marketing mm-hmm. and like who our consumer is and those areas. But just having the product move is the first unlock of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's always the, the first, the first area that I hire into and the, what I would, you know, suggest a lot of people. So put energy into.
0: Were you primarily direct to consumer? or Like, did you focus heavily on retail when you were like when you were born, I
1: guess, like when we focused we heavily on retail and boutique ah, business, okay. because one, we didn't have the cash to pay to play in digital. And the landscape, I mean, has even changed so much in the last year that it's, it's hard for anyone, I think right now. So it was built. The foundation of our business was built on our boutique and wholesale businesses. Mm, okay. So I had a printout that I still have in a, in a folder today of all the stores, our dream stores that we wanted to be in. And every day I would just cold call 50 of them. Wow. And highlight it, and it was just like a numbers game of getting into those stores. A lot of those stores ended up positioning us for larger retailers who looked to those stores for trend setting. And a lot of our customers were the store owners of those boutiques, so women-owned boutiques that were trend setting, where people go to discover products or buy gifts for people they care about, became our champions. And we have those still across North America. And then the larger retailers, say the Sephora's and the Goops and the Nordstroms looked to those trend-setting stores and I could probably name 10 of them that were the most influential in the growth of the business. Yeah, in the actually, first what years. were they? One of them is a, a store that's still in New York called Cap Beauty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're like really it. So I was living in New York for three months and was walking through the West Village and there was a store covered in paper that said something along the lines of like wellness store opening soon. And there was a phone number and I called them and it was the one of the founders and they were renting a basement across the street. And I brought my first samples to them that had paper labels that disintegrated because (laughs) you shouldn't put paper around an oil product. But that was one of my first learnings and sold them on this concept. And so we launched in the store when they launched and then they got a ton of press. And that was one of those key retailers for us.
0: That is really smart. And I think a good lesson for people who are looking to get into retail. And like, I I completely agree with you, by the way. I don't think that, you know, you can go knocking on Sephora's door as like a nobody.
1: I think you actually need to do that legwork and kind of learn. Exactly. Yeah. And learn and build those relationships with the store owners and get feedback and figure out what products are. Yeah. yeah. So that's how it started. It's very organic and small. And I
0: think it's like, it's actually like very sound advice because, you know, We are in like a few stores, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like more boutique. And it's really interesting because like, I'm, I'm friendly with like some of the boutique owners, right? Mm -hmm. And so if something isn't selling as well, or like they notice, I don't know, like something has happened, like they, they notice like maybe the label was loose and like, that's like our shipping center that like did that, right? Or like, sorry, like our, our packaging people it's interesting because I hear it directly from them, you know? And so when like, it's like a good kind of stepping stone, if you do want to go to like bigger retailers down the line, mm-hmm. because that has to be kind of flawless, you know? Yep. It's yeah. Less forgiving. Yeah, less forgiving. And that's how you build relationships and learn. So. Yeah, couldn't so. agree more. So then what happened? You got into all these little stores. What was the big store for you? And like, what really like shifted things? And you were like, we're really scaling now.
1: Nordstrom. Mm. Nordstrom was a big one. And um, anthropology. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Those are two very major. Those are two major stores and they really understood our customer. And when we were first, you know, for anyone that's launching a product kind of went through this exercise internally where I was like, okay, who is our customer and where does that person shop for home goods? Where do they shop for beauty and where do they shop for like lifestyle and clothing? And how do I put our product in all of those places? Because let's face it, we're selling scent. So at some point, they need to experience it. And how do I make it really easy for them to see, you know, that product on a shelf or on a website that they'd seen on Instagram that they maybe want to smell? So even if you look at kind of our array of retailers now, they all weave within where do they shop for beauty, where do they shop for lifestyle, and where do they shop for kind of home? So Anthro and Nordstrom Nordstrom were those two. And I was relentless with Nordstrom. Yeah. That was not an accident. Okay. Tell us about the Nordstrom (laughs) process. (laughs) The, 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 The Nordstrom process. That was probably a year of hustling to try to get in there.
0: Wow. Okay. So what does that mean? Like for anyone who's like looking to get into like a big retailer, that's their dream.
1: That meant a email reminder to myself to email them every six weeks. Yeah. Did you have the right contact? What were you doing? No, but if they changed, I would just say that the last person said that I would, you know, maybe get a shot. Oh, my gosh. So so you'd follow up with them? Follow up with them, relentless, you know, figure out if there was areas that we could, you know, ship them the product or try something in store or do like a little, be in a pop-up. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was, I, I truly believe that we create our own experiences in the world. And especially if you don't have relationships, it's your job to build them. And so I, I knew I didn't have the connections. I knew I didn't have the money, but I knew I could outwork anyone. And so that became my strategy.
0: So then- when did they say yes? Or like, when did someone
1: like, when did the needle start to move in that direction? The needle started to move when we got allowed into one pop in in our hometown and that and then I was like, we're not, you know, we're not going to mess this one up. And so we got in there and blew it up. Smart. Yeah. And I think like that,
0: I, I always look at those pop ins and I was like, these brands, they're like the ones that they're incubating almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. So What happened then when you got into Nordstrom? Did you notice like
1: a huge surge? And like, was that like a tipping point for you? Or like, what was that like? I think at that point in a business, at least for us, it's around credibility. Mm -hmm. And so that helped us put sort of a seal of approval. So understanding whatever business you're building, where does your customer or community go to validate what they think is good? Mm -hmm. And then how do you position yourself as close to that or in that as possible? And so for them, the sales weren't there right away but the validation of knowing that we were good enough for Nordstrom meant that we could start taking bigger leaps. And then that created sort of a compounding effect with other retailers. So
0: I want to talk a little bit about like, I guess, evolving. Mm -hmm. So you started off as like a retail heavy business, but you Mm -hmm. have a beautiful website, at least now, like what I know of it. And like, it is quite shoppable. So like, have you since then like since the early days, like started placing a little bit more emphasis on D2C or like what's that been like for you? Yeah,
1: yeah, that that was the next stepping stone. Once we were able to grow a little bit more and have more energy and, and financially be able to invest more in the dot-com business, then it became the place where you want people to experience what you're about and what Mm -hmm. you're doing. And thank you for the compliment on the website. I, you know, we are launching a rebrand in three weeks. And so so, excited. So excited. And the website is so beautiful. And so I'm excited for you to see the new one. But that remains our biggest focus because it allows, you know, the closest experience for people to understand what we're about and how we want people to shop. So, like what have been some of the levers
0: that you've pulled to kind of get people into your website and like really invested into your brand outside of just like a retail thing where like, you know, they go pick something up, but like
1: really like integrate them into the Vitruvi web. Into the Vitruvi web experience. It's a great question. It's something we're still working mm-hmm. on, to be honest. What's the reason for someone to come to your your website versus a Sephora or versus, and we, I believe they're sort of like cross-pollination and they become mutually beneficial to each yeah. other, but having reasons for people to get products first. So everything yeah. launches on our .com experience first. We're able to hone the messaging mm-hmm. and really use that as like a place for our retailers to look to, to kind of, okay, how should we be messaging this product? Because in each of those retailers that we launched with, we were the first category leader in it. Oh, so I was part it. of the Sephora Accelerate program and we were the first essential oil-based air care company in Sephora.
0: Incredible. We were the
1: first essential oil-based home sending company in Nordstrom to the point where they didn't even know what category we went in. I remember working with my mentor in Sephora and they're like, we don't know if you're in fragrance or, you know, we might, we might start a wellness area. And I'm like, okay. So using your own web experience to help retailers know. hmm how how they should position you. And then just slowly investing more and more in it and making it a delightful experience. Beyond just shopping. Mm-hmm. And so content is what we started as, and content remains an important pillar of the brand. And we have a digital and print magazine called Natural Habitat. Amazing. It's all around natural living and home decor and design for you know the, the modern homemaker, you could say. And I think just having a reason beyond just shopping for to come to our website is important. I'm,
0: I'm with you. Like I think the education piece, like the whole kind of experience someone has with your website, that's the reason that they come back. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's very cool that you kind of have. Have this like magazine going. That's incredible. So what are some of the marketing levers that you've pulled throughout time? Because I feel like Vitruvi is one of those brands that is so cool and I never stop seeing it. Like it's just always there. And like someone's talking about it, you know, like anytime I go on social, like I see Vitruvi like at least once a day, which is really great because you've obviously done the marketing thing, right?
1: thank you for that. I think when you're right in it, you don't see that. And so it always, I don't know if you can probably relate as a founder. It always feels like it's, there's not enough. Oh my God. All the time.
0: I'm like, even, even now, like I was somewhere and someone came up to me, I was getting my hair done one time and the person next to me was like, oh, you're the founder of OEA. I was like, how do you know Array? Like you're a
1: random person. Like, you know my brand. no, it's a big big shift when you start like not knowing who's ordering your .com orders. Cause mm-hmm. It was just my mom and our family. <laughs> so that I remember being like, I don't know what that name is. Like that's pretty neat. Someone on um
0: our team like slacked like our group and she's like oh my god like I know this girl it was like a screenshot of like a Shopify order from like someone she knew and she's yeah. like this is the first time like I've had someone who I know like just pop up as like a customer and like yeah. it's not like you know sent she, them a code or yeah, something no yeah. nothing it was just like completely random so that's yeah that's really a very special, special moment yeah, yeah that's for really sure. neat yeah so what were the marketing things that you did like influencers kind of like like I guess all the different channels like what mm-hmm. really worked for you
1: worked from for us. So if we say, okay, we started around 2015, mm-hmm. 16, say, we we weren't kind of really well versed in influencer affiliate marketing. Yeah. The entire program was built from that second employee, her name's Simone. She still runs that program. She's a phenomenal human Incredible. being. She took over our customer experience inbox from me. So I was the hello at Vitruvi account lead. Yeah, that was niche for a very long time. Right? Yeah. 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 And so then she took that over. Our affiliate program and our influencer program was built out of our customer experience team. We never tried to build it. Wow. It was all just based from our customers. And that is still the majority of those those relationships. Mm -hmm. And still how we run that area of the business, it's all funneled through our customer experience team. And we speak to every customer as if they are a brand ambassador to us and a friend of my mom's. That's our rule because you'll always get feedback from my mom. And so that's kind of how we built that program. And that has been by far beyond any marketing program is having authentically built, caring relationships with our community members is is what has built our company. I love that. Mm -hmm. I... I always like, I've talked about this like a
0: million times, but I feel like treating your customers like influencers is the most important thing you can do Mm -hmm. because that's actually at the end of the day, what they are. And like our business grew so much from word of mouth. And that was because we made sure that our packaging experience was absolutely flawless. And like our whole vision for how we sent out our orders was like, all of our customers should have that same, like customized, like really like, Personalized experience that influencers typically get with their PR packages, you mm-hmm. know. And so, I remember early days we would do like hand print like a single Polaroid, and Nish and I would write a note. Now cool. it's like we've scaled it a little bit, but like mm-hmm. stuff like that, you I know. And it's it's so important, mm-hmm. and like that's what kind of sticks, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that the way that I think about it is our customer is super busy. They're usually thinking about themselves last mm-hmm. and they're intentional around their their home and the products that they choose. Yeah. So how do I validate their choice in believing in us? Mm-hmm. And the shipping experience needs to be the best that I can do at that moment in time yeah, because yeah. it has evolved. And I've talked to a lot of people that are starting businesses and they're like, well, I can't afford the, the custom packaging." I'm like, that's okay. It's the energy you put into yeah, it. Yeah, So maybe you can't afford the custom tape, but can you spend three minutes and write a note to that customer and you'll have them for life? Is there something you can do just in how you show up for them? And what's the experience of your brand? For us, we want people to feel inspired by surreal environments, but have real conversations. And that we uh, greet every customer on a phone call, on Instagram, in person, with an abundance amount of war- warmth and humility. Like we're walking them into our home because we're a home brand. Mm-hmm. And so I think just that intentionality helps build the personification and the energy of a business and the soul of a business. And that's different for every business. But I think just getting clear on that at the beginning and the people that you work with. I love that. Okay, so I want to switch gears a little mm-hmm. bit
0: because we've talked a lot about-
1: Building the, things, the building which I could things do for a long time. Business. Yeah. yeah, for
0: sure. But I actually want to get into the benefits of essential oils, which mm-hmm. I don't think we've even touched on. And here I am speaking to the founder of like a massive essential oil yeah.
1: business. So what are some of the health benefits of essential oils? Mm-hmm. The way that we think about essential oils and the reason we use that as a key ingredient in our products is it allows us to scent homes naturally without synthetic fragrances. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at how Better For You categories have evolved, it started with food, with the organic movement. Then we saw clean cleaning with the you know method and seventh generation, then we saw clean personal care feminine care, makeup, the merit, beauties, and uh, ilias of the world. And we believe that home scenting is really the last category to transform and better for you. So beyond being a natural version of synthetic fragrances that we know can be endocrine disruptors, that can stay on fabrics, that often give people headaches, the glades and the febrezes of the world, we use essential oils twofold. One, because they are natural and they go in and out of the air and they're plant-based. And we use a really high quality oil. And secondarily, that they can help the brain create sort of consistencies and routines throughout the day. So I believe in using scent strategically and helping our customer take up space and doing that naturally and really beautifully. And they allow us to create blends that are as unique as our consumer. And so my secret project is to almost create the version of personal scenting in home and that we can create these beautiful complex aromas with top notes and middle notes and base notes, much like the first perfumes were built in the world, Mm -hmm. um, and do it with oils and have that your bespoke home scent. That's incredible. Mm -hmm.
0: So you said that you think that people can use essential oils strategically as Mm -hmm. well. So like, what are some of the like what can some of the blends do? Like, you know,
1: how can they make you feel? Is it like putting you in a specific headspace, a mood? Like, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts there? So there's certain themes around essential oils that have been studied. So something like, you know, most people are familiar with lavender Mm -hmm. or chamomile or eucalyptus. Mm -hmm. And they have properties that have been shown to, you know, decrease your nervous system or your stress response. Or eucalyptus can help promote deep breathing, Mm -hmm. which is why it's often used in spas, which then, lowers your, you know, sympathetic or your parasympathetic uh response and helps you relax. We think about it twofold. We think about the art and the science. Yeah. And so we're not here saying that we'll help anyone sleep or that we'll change your, you know, you'll sleep two more hours every night. But there are sort of ways, again, looking at culturally how botanicals have been used, things that have been used for centuries that, you know, have those properties. And so when we design a blend, we do it with that art and science. Okay, if we're making an evening blend, like, you know, our sleep blend or our dusk blend, it was inspired by a trip to Joshua Tree that I had late at night. And so there's the art of what does Joshua Tree smell like in Mm -hmm. the evening? And how do we make something really almost dry and bring some of the traditional scents like a lavender and a eucalyptus into that experience, but not have it entirely medicinal. Yeah. So that's feedback we get from our customers is they don't smell medicinal. And there is like a, we're towing the line between experience and benefit always.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I was reading a book on like biohacking mm-hmm. and the doctor who wrote it, her name's Dr. Stephanie Estima, who's also been on my podcast. What's the yet, book called? It's called uh, The Betty Body. Oh, cool. It's She's also Canadian, by the way. Oh, neat. But I love her because she's like a female biohacker, which is, I mean, it's interesting because right, that's neat. like, yeah, and it's like, you know, it's a very male dominated space. So mm-hmm. she talks about how we can apply certain things to like the female body essentially. Yep. And like, there's like a whole part in there that's like how we can use scent as well. And like for everything from like, getting aroused to like ensuring that we're getting better sleep to like, you know, like waking up in the morning. So it's really interesting that like essential oils have been around for centuries,
1: you know, forever, forever.
0: And like they, they really do have like very specific purposes.
1: Mm -hmm. So it's really cool that you guys are kind of doing that. I kind of think of it as scenting the stage of your life. And this is something that felt really nice to show up for our community throughout the pandemic is you can use scent to set the stage of a room Mm -hmm. and to create presence and set an intention. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a beautiful way to take up space in in a room. And so if my living room or my dining room is becoming my office and then it's my yoga studio, I can intentionally step into that space with that intention with Aroma. So maybe my work scent is, you know, our pacific blend because it's breezy and it makes me feel at the beach and our brains are lazy and they love routine and they love consistency yeah. so if i put on pacific every day when i sit at my desk that becomes a cue for my brain right like that doctor saying to no now i'm in my work zone and then if i switch that to a boost in the afternoon while i do my my yoga practice that's again cueing my brain and creating routine. And the brain just loves things that are familiar. And so scent is this beautiful way to set the stage of our life and help our bodies get into routine, which is, I think, just something I'm personally always craving. I think that's so smart. And I actually never thought of it from that routine
0: standpoint. And I'm totally like going to use this like from a scent perspective, because for me, I've used certain perfumes throughout my life. And like anytime I've gone back and like smelt it at like a store or whatever, I'm like, Takes you back. It takes me back to that, you know, and like you just like it's so it's like nostalgic almost, you know, so it's nice to use it in
1: a routine stand from a routine standpoint Mm -hmm. as well. It's very cool. Scent triggers the part of the brain called the thalamus, Mm -hmm. which basically is like our reasoning and it bypasses how our rationale for things. It's the reason why you can smell a cologne from an old boyfriend and it kind of creates like a visceral reaction before you know why. That's what scent does. And it's the most powerful of the senses and it's the most underrated. And so I love this idea of being able, especially for women to like utilize this in a way that allows us to command a room, set the stage, kind of think about how we take up space and live really intentionally, especially before bed. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm with a really nice time for that. I'm
0: with you. So what's your current favorite scent from the Vitruvi line?
1: (laughs) Well, okay, my very favorite scent we're actually releasing. Oh, that's exciting. So a little sneak peek, my favorite aroma that I've been blending for the last five years, we decided to turn into a, a scent. So what I've mixed at home for oh for God. five years is now becoming a new blend and is releasing in three weeks. And <gasps> so, yeah, I'm really excited for that and for people to experience that. Oh, my God. Can you share what the scent is? Sure. Yeah. 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 So the scent is something that I've used since the very beginning of the business and what I blend in my living room. Mm-hmm. And it's a mix of cedarwood which I find really grounding. I love cedarwood. And our cedarwood is just (gasps) spot on. So it's it's cedarwood and a beautiful Uh bergamot, which is like a citrus, which is fresh, but bergamot is what you smell in Earl Grey tea. Oh, so love. it has this comforting feeling. And then this blend has a little bit of lavender in it, a tiny bit of frankincense and a little bit of rose. That's so And nice. so it's incredibly grounding, but the freshness of the bergamot and this beautiful femininity of rose oil, which is like very luxurious. So and
0: then what's the uh, situation in which you
1: like to use it or you recommend? This is like my living room crowd pleaser blend. It's like what I use at the end of the day to ground myself when I make a tea in the evening and I put this blend on and I'm excited to just have it bottled in one, one bottle and it's going to be called legacy. And it's this idea of, you know, what is my signature scent and the signature scent of the business. And so I love that it pulls from a lot of different scent families that are all coming together to work together to create just, you know, that you know, legacy scent.
0: Oh my god. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you've sold me on it, Yay. Sarah. Like I'm gonna <laughs> I'll, go. I'll str- send you some. <laughs> oh, you're yeah. very sweet. Okay. So before we wrap, I want to do a rapid fire round. Okay. okay. So first and foremost, what is your top wellness tip?
1: <sighs> Drink a ton of water.
0: Love that. Okay.
1: Like a lot. Oh yeah. In the morning.
0: All the time. Like, all the in time. In the morning, I'm just out there chugging my water before my coffee. Yep. And then just all day long, like I. Always tell my producer Ali, I'm like, do you hate me because of the number of water bottles I go through every time <laughs> I come to the studio?
1: So one of those
0: big Amazon ones. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you need. Drink um, a lot of water. What is one book you think our listeners should read?
1: Uh, a New Earth by uh, Eckhart Tolle. Oh, uh, I've, ah, yeah. I've not read that one. It changed my life. Really? I read it yeah. in high school when he, when Oprah brought him into his book into her book club, and I think the New Earth it talks about reframing the ego. And understanding our egoic self versus like our non-egoic self. Oh my God. And this is
0: like very much up my alley. I is mean, it? Okay. It right away. A New yeah, Earth yeah. is, yeah, one of my favorite books. Amazing. What is one habit that's a non-negotiable for you?
1: Coffee in the morning.
0: Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And what is one big dream that you had that never kind of worked out?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I feel like I've let things go. Okay. i have to think about that. Or like even when you were
0: younger, for example, you thought you had one dream and then you pivoted.
1: I mean, I thought I was going to be a doctor ah, okay. and quit med school to finish this. So that's one dream I had, but I've since let that go. Oh yeah. And pivoted. Yes, yeah.
0: absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look what came out of it. It's, it's yeah. a really beautiful business. Mm-hmm. Sarah,
1: this has been wonderful. Tell everyone where they can find you. They can find us at Vitruvi, V-I-T-R-U-V-I on Instagram and Vitruvi.com. And then I'm Sarah. Sarah L. Penton on Instagram. Amazing. Thanks. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If
0: you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people. Learn and unlearn and have a lot of fun. See you next week.